welcome to Hit the Six. Uh, we're back again. It's another week, another opportunity to discuss all things cricket while we can't play it. Uh, although, Michael, I did notice actually that cricket has returned to Guernsey. Uh, they played a trial game, a socially distant game yesterday. Uh, and there are meetings as well that cricket will be returning at large more in the summer. What do, what do you make of all of that? Um, no, I'm, I am really excited. Uh, I've been enjoying following a few England cricketers on Instagram, um, Stuart Broad in particular, as they've been chronicling their, um, their return to cricket, you know, bowling on their own in the stadiums. They've got their personalised exercise plans from England cricket. But, yeah, I am excited. I'm slightly wary. How about you, Rob? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm dead excited. Obviously, it's sad that domestic cricket won't start until earliest 1st of August, but I think that's probably realistic. Do you think we'll be getting to any matches, Rob? Oh, you're thinking about opening only 6,000 seats in the Oval for some games? I doubt it. Possibly in September. I think that late. Well, there's so much course that could happen between them. We were just talking before we started recording, weren't we, about coronavirus, the lockdown, are we lifting it too soon? Will there be a second spike? Uh, and if any of that happens, and suddenly cases start being run up again, well, then it'll all shut down again, and then there's no chance. So if, but if things kind of continue on this trajectory, I think maybe late August, early September, there might be a few games where they let people in. Like England with those ODIs against Ireland in like sort of mid-September. I can imagine them being played in front of a half crowd. I've got tickets to the Oval, so we could, I'd love to go to that. But yeah, it's, it's still there's so much up in the air. But what I do think will happen is that England will be playing the West Indies and Pakistan behind closed doors this summer, which is, which is a good thing. And England have picked a 55-man squad, haven't they? Yeah, they're pretty determined to make those two happen, which will be good fun to watch on TV. Um, yeah, we were just saying, weren't we, that we're looking at that 55-man squad. And as a lot of pundits have been saying, if you haven't been including that 55-man squad as a county player, you've got to be feeling pretty gutted because it's a very hard conversation to have over the phone, isn't it? You can't just say, oh, you just missed out because there's a lot of spots available. So if you missed out, you've really missed out. I would say the person who should feel particularly hard done by Sam Northeast, I think he is going to fall into that casket of James Hildreth of guys who never got a chance for England but really should have. Yeah. Um, and I was obviously also not picked, but I'm absolutely fine about that. I mean, uh, yeah, I, well, I don't know, but I'm not so fine about Hales either, really. I think the thing with the difference between Hildreth and North East is when, when Hildreth was kind of really at his peak, Eng- England were pretty good. Guys like Kevin Peterson, Jonathan Trott, Ian Bell in the middle order probably weren't going anywhere. So you can kind of understand why he never got a chance in the way that Sam Northeast, I mean, England's batting has hardly been fantastic. But you do feel he must be sitting there thinking, oh, what have I got to do? You could argue as well that James Hildreth, maybe he was at his peak during our peak, but he's also continued to churn out the runs pretty much until now. And we've been pretty awful batting-wise for a few years. So I just feel like both him and Sam Northeast really would have that feeling. I mean, Hildreth probably long given up, but Sam Northeast maybe starting to get the sense it might not be his... Uh, is calling. Um, what do you think about Hales then? Yeah, I, I think it was Natalie saying he, he, said, he said this, and I agree with him, that basically he's done his time, he's a really talented cricketer, and he should be able to get him, get him back in. I know there's a whole lot of England got to forgive him, this really close bond, really close unit. I, I, just, I just never really buy into that. I just think the best teams across sports are really good and very professional outfits who are happy to welcome players, and you know, no matter if you get on with them or, or not, you play with them. Look at Zidane for Real Madrid and how successful they've been. I bet half of them even speak to each other. They can go out and play and be fine. And so I, I think Alex Hales is one of our most talented limited overs batsmen. And to overlook him, I think it's pretty ridiculous, really. I think 
the sense it's not a team feeling betrayed. Well, I'm sure that's true. But Morgan is the guy who's calling the shots, right? It's Morgan's team. Morgan's taken us on this ride and it is so his team. He has complete authority. And I get the sense that until Morgan thinks, you know, until Morgan's forgiven him, there's no way Hales getting back in. And we saw Wokes last week saying, you know, he feels like it's time maybe Hales could come back in. And then Morgan shut that down very quickly and now Hales isn't in. And I sort of feel like it's not about the team forgiving him. It's about whether Morgan and his captain feels ready to trust him again. And I do sympathise with that a little bit because Morgan has moulded this team in his own image. And for me, it should, he should have a pretty big say in whether Hales gets back in. So maybe I'm feeling a bit more on board with not picking Hales well, for that reason. Well, to be fair, Michael, I normally dismiss every argument you make against me out of hand. Um, but I think I agree, actually. I think you make a very fair point. And so... What a moment. Yeah, I know. What a moment. Mark the hour and day, 9.32 in the morning on Sunday the 31st of May. Uh, that is amazing. I, Michael changed my mind on something. So does that mean Garrett Jones is going to be our wicketkeeper, Rob? <laughs> we will see. And that does bring us nicely into our debate for, the, for today. The next position in the team. Kind of, we have been going by batting order. And we've got up to number six. So a reminder where we are. Alistair Cook and Marcus Driscothic opening the batting. Michael Vaughan is captain at number three. Kevin Peterson at four. Joe Root at five. Ben Stokes at six. And um, we will... The wicketkeeper most probably will bat seven, but could bat eight. And so we're kind of now, we thought, well, let's pick our wicketkeeper and then kind of work out the batting order once we started picking bowlers as well. So we imagine this person will bat seven, but they may bat eight. But it's a really tough one to decide, isn't it, Michael? Because unlike so many other positions, wicketkeeper, we don't, we have, there hasn't been a wicketkeeper over the last 20 years. We think they are the best wicketkeeper by far. They're like a standout world-class candidate. In the way that other countries, if you're doing Australia, you'd have Adam Gilchrist. If you did India, you'd have MS Dhoni. South Africa would be a great discussion between Mark Bouchard, Quinton de Kock, Sri Lanka, Kumar Sangakara, even Bangladesh, Mushfika Rahim. But England, there isn't someone who is that kind of top, top quality candidate, is there? No, not in the last 20 years. And I suppose, I mean, if you're starting with the best and the most obvious, we'd have to go to Matt Pryor. He averaged 40 in his test career. I think over 10 centuries, uh, you know, a pretty pretty good player on his day. And someone whose batting was very good, his wicketkeeper was a bit shaky, but he worked incredibly hard on it and got it a lot better to be, you know, international test standard. And pretty good, actually, pretty good test standard. But as we were saying, well, before we started recording, like, how are we going to fit him in in the team we've picked? You know, him and KP just going to be chummy chummy, you know? I, it's, it's, it's a really difficult one. Yeah, it is. I just to correct you slightly, so seven test centuries, but really notably twenty-eight test fifties, which is a lot. And yeah, yeah. exactly the kind of thing you want someone about thirty-five times in test cricket he passed he passed fifty in only seventy-nine matches, which is a really, really good record, particularly for a wicketkeeper. And he's exactly, to be honest, the kind of player you want uh lured down the order in this team, I think, in terms of taking out personality, he's a pure cricketer. I think he's the perfect fit following that batting lineup. He can show grit. He's dug in and batted long. He's a fantastic counter-attacking player. Was part of England during their best era. You know, you kind of think of all, all the great victories away in India, Australia, down under, Ashes wins at home, getting to number one in the world. He's there all the way along through that journey. I think he maybe should be the player who gets picked. Well, I mean, what's stopping us? Like, the numbers back it up. His contributions in big matches back it up. What's stopping us? I mean, I think something that's both held us back slightly is that we've never, either of us are particularly warm to him. 
And well, I think well, a lot of this team is picked on people we have warmed to or have given us those you know, fuzzy feelings in our hearts watching the cricket. So, I don't know, what would you say to that? Yeah, I, definitely. I think, I mean, there's a couple of people who've been picked in this team who I didn't, wouldn't say, oh, I love that player. But when we're looking at some of the selections, someone talked about Marcus Truscothic. Immediately, that heart reaction on Facebook is the first thing that comes into my head. I was like, oh, I love Marcus Truscothic. What a bloke, what a player. Same with Alistair Cook. Um, until recently, wasn't the case, but now, Ben Stokes. Obviously, you think the things he's done, oh, Ben Stokes, what a player. English cricket legend. Yeah. Matt Pryor, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's all right. It's annoying, a bit lippy. Um, exactly. Clearly wasn't the nicest character. I know Kevin Peterson's book is um, propaganda and nothing other, but there's, you, just, you just get a sense, there's, like, the whole there's no smoke without fire. He was clearly a um, you know, chirpy character, not, but not in a nice way, in a kind of a snidey, sniping sort of way. Uh, yeah, there's just something about him. I... When he first came into the test team, didn't he get in a bit of trouble because he was constantly sledging the India team? And he then dropped a load of catches and made him like a prat. And he got dropped partly because his keeping was so bad. But also, I think, with a little bit of a, a tap on the head, a slap on the wrist for his on-pitch demeanour. And I think he came back a little bit more humble and a little bit less lippy. Again, not the sort of thing that makes me warm to him. Yeah, indeed. I, but, he, but he's the best player. I mean, that's the question. Is this team picking a, a team of people that you and me like? So I've got an argument against this, actually. Okay. Look at the team we've picked. Kirk, Jaskovic, Vaughan, Peterson, Stokes. We're not sure of runs. So actually, I'd make the case. And we've got a very, we've probably got a decent chance that Freddie Flintoff might be one of our seniors. So this team isn't going to be short of runs. So I actually think we can make the case that we need to pick the best wicket keeper possible. Which, for me, would rule Matt Pryor out if you're looking at other English wicket keepers of the last 20 years. So there is a more... You know, a bit more of a pragmatic take to it rather than a one of the heart. He got his wicketkeeping got better, much, much better uh, as time went on. And by the end, I don't think you'd. I mean, I know you're a big Garen Jones fan, but the, that bloke really wasn't a good wicketkeeper, and like never was really that good a wicketkeeper. To Matt Pryor, you felt you know towards certainly once he really got established in England team, he's sort of 2010 onwards. He was he was an excellent keeper, and he never felt he'd really he was letting them down, dropping catches, missing stumpings often at all. So, particularly no, he wasn't standing back. He was and up to the stumps, wasn't quite so good, but he was a really excellent wicketkeeper to the seamers. And so I, I feel like, I'm with you to an extent, but I, I don't think his wicketkeeping was so bad that means he suddenly get, gets overlooked. He was a perfectly, yeah, no, he was a good wicketkeeper. And like I said, he worked incredibly hard on it and he got a lot better at it. But actually, we, this, this team's going all over the world, right? We want this team to build a dynasty. So we need a keeper who's very good standing up to the stumps as well. And I just think we, don't, we won't be as reliant on Pryor and his runs as, we, as with, this, with the order he's got ahead of him. And so I think we can at least discuss some other options who maybe are, who are better wicket keepers. So who would that be then for you? Um, so two left field suggestions are James Foster and Chris Reid, both whom you know, never really had a test career. But can we pick players based on potential or based on what could have been? You're probably going to say no. I mean, obviously not. But from England for the last 20 years, I think you're suddenly picking a Blake who played like 10 tests and average under 20, like a Chris Reid. Oh, he actually, Rob's, uh, he played 15 tests, although he did average under 20. I will admit that. But he was a very good keeper. He was a great keeper. And if you talk about memories, he has scored one of the best hundreds I've ever seen, which was in a county championship game against Middlesex at Lords. 
maybe three years ago. I went with a mate. Um, we just kind of decided to have a catch-up. Why not go and watch some counter-cricket at the same time? And Chris Reed scored the most incredible counter-attacking 100. Uh, and particularly getting from 70 to 100. Uh, my mate went off to the toilet, came back. I see, when he went off, Chris Reed was on, yeah, 70. Came back, he was on 98. And my mate hadn't gone for very long. It was, yeah, just a magnificent innings. A lot, obviously, in front of three men and the dog. And he did, when I saw that, I was thinking, crikey, he's a good player. So I do like Chris Reed. I like him a lot. And I'm pleased he's got a mention. But I just think, I mean, his record is this. He played 36 ODIs. The top score of 30. He's just not good enough to, I think, warrant, warrant selection. All right, let's move to James Foster. So James Foster, seven to test. Slightly better average, 25. Perfectly respectable, I think. Very, very good wicketkeeper. And again, I've been very harshly treated not to get more of a chance of England. Again, he's, he's a very good wicketkeeper. Better wicketkeeper than Matt Pryor. So could he be better to have on a, you know, a, a turning pitch in India, standing up to our mystery spinner, whoever it will be, and Joe Root's part-time offies? I don't know. I just feel like might might, And also for Team Harmony not having Matt Pryor in to rile up KP might be useful. I'm just looking at him now. He's a very friendly looking man. He's a very nice looking man. He's, he seems like, a, he looks like a good bloke. So again, I, I warm to it, but as you said, he played seven tests. Average 25 great, but never even scored a test 50. Played 11 ODIs, high score of 13. Five T20s, high score of 14. I mean, his first class average wasn't bad at 37, but like, I, I don't know. I just think that's a real, our England team, you've got like England legend, England legend, England legend, England legend, some random wicketkeeper who played a handful of test matches. Now, I know you call him a random wicketkeeper, it isn't fair for either James Foster or Chris Reed, but that is kind of ultimately what they are in respect to the rest of the side. So I, I appreciate your efforts, Michael, but I, I just, I'm not sure I can have it. Right, who are our options? Well, having who said that, options? I've got, I've got a suggestion of a player who played a load more tests and did far better, and that is Tim Ambrose. I am a massive Tim Ambrose fan. Oh. Now, he did only play 11 <laughs> test matches, which is only slightly more than James Foster uh, and, only, and slightly less than Chris Reid, but he got a test 100, which is crucial. Average, you know, much more towards 30 in test cricket, and one has to say, you really feel he was incredibly harshly treated because he got 70-odd in his last test in... Um, in the Caribbean in 2009, they sent him back to county cricket and said, go on, score some more runs and we'll think about you again. Played the England Lions game, scored a century, and then another one against Hampshire, I believe, in, in the county championship, and then never, but still never got picked. So maybe if we're going for potential, at least Chris Reed and James Foster, they didn't really perform for them when they did get picked. Tim Ambrose did, and then still didn't get selected. And so maybe he's the, if we're going off kind of, Actual performances for England, an excellent test century, one of the finest of the 21st century. <laughs> I reckon pick him. One of the finest of the 21st century, big words. No, I mean, I think if we're not going to be, if we're ruling out James Foster and Chris Reid for not being England legends, so not getting into this side, despite being wonderful wicket keepers, and also James Foster having pretty similar test average to Tim Ambrose, um, then we also can't, we can't be including Tim Ambrose, who yeah, he might well have not been given enough of a chance, but because he wasn't given enough of a chance, he basically just acted as a fill-in for a little period of time while Matt Pryor became a capable wicketkeeper. Because I'm pretty sure that's when he came in, right? Yeah, that's, he came that's exactly when he came in, yeah. 
So I think, you know, if we're not picking Matt Pryor, I don't think we can pick the guy who was asked to hold Matt Pryor's gloves for seven tests or 11 tests or whatever it was. So I think I'm also, I think we're going to have to rule out Tim Ambrose for the same reasons. Although, yeah, I've, I've, I remember him perfectly fondly. I, I, can't really, I can't really understand how you get quite so passionate about him um, because, you know, he, he just seemed like a really solid, average kind of fill-in. I think I, I followed the test match where he scored 100 against New Zealand really closely, I think. I, I, was, I was still at junior school. And I was, um, oh, I loved it. I thought, what a player. This guy's class. Oh, you know, because I, I was quite an anti-Garrett Jones kind of man all the way along. I finally got a good England wicketkeeper. And so in my head, I've always just held him as one of the best England keepers England have had in my lifetime. All right, well, let's <laughs> talk about Garrett Jones. Let's talk about Garrett Jones, actually, because uh, we're building this test team on moments. 2005 Ashes series, full of moments. And a couple of his innings in that, they weren't, you know, they weren't centuries, but they, and I think normally they were in partnership with Flintoff, but they were so exciting. The way they would just take the Australians on, proper counter-attacking stuff, you know, punch them, leave them with a bloody nose. And I loved watching Darren Jones. And I've, because that series was the series I really started to love cricket, I've always had such a fondness for him. And then you just look at his exploits later down the line, winning the one-day cut with Gloucestershire, playing for Papua New Guinea. I just think, what a character. And I'm sure he'd get on really well with the rest of the team. I think him and KP are mates. So for team morale and for demonstrable success, 2005 Ashes, you can't go any further than Gallant Jones. I'm holding my head in my hands and I'm rubbing my eyes pretty vigorously at well, there's a few things to say. I mean, firstly, I, I do this with golf a lot. I make snap judgments on players, whether I like them or not, based purely on what they wear, the clubs, they, like just completely random things. I just decide I like him and I don't like him. And there's no wrong reason to it. And it's often grossly unfair. So for those of you listeners who enjoy their golf, there's Matt Kuchler. I can't stand the bloke. But apparently he's lovely, absolutely delightful, most popular player on tour, you know, everyone, everyone loves the coot. And I just, the moment I saw him, I thought, I just don't like this guy. I don't know why, I just decided I don't like him. And it's similar for me with Garen Jones. And I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the, it was his orange puma he used to bat with. I, I don't know. I, there was something that just irritated me about him. Even though, again, by all reports, he's a really lovely bloke and everyone speaks very highly of him. But that's not the reason why I'm refusing to have him in this team. There's a, a plethora of reasons as to why. And firstly, you literally spent in an attempt to make sure Matt Pryde doesn't get picked. You were saying, oh, look, we don't need runs. We need the best keeper in the team. Darren <laughs> Jones was a very, very average wicketkeeper. Even in the 2005 Ashes, he dropped catches, missed important stumpings. Yes, he took one fairly regulation catch off Steve Harmson to win um, the Edgbaston Test. Historic. Historic. Um, but there are, and there's, well, there's a very famous video on YouTube. If you type in Garrett Jones' worst drop ever, this video will come up of one where it gets skied in the air for the batsman. He's there under it with his gloves. It hasn't even gone that high. He tries to go for the Australian style, fingers pointing up, drops it. Terrible. He's, he's not a very good wicketkeeper. And so just for that reason alone, he, he can't be picked. And I'm, and I'm fed up. I, always, I already think Michael Vaughan's been selected off the coattails of this 2005 Ashes series. And I'm not having and a, and a series of other players getting picked based off that series and that series alone. Because as wonderful as it was, I think you've just got to demonstrate that you are more than just that. I've just watched that drop patch. That is awful. That is 
Yeah, it's worth a watch. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll share it, actually, this, this week. I mean, cry. Like, as in, it's, so, it's not even a high one. And no. instead of just waiting with his gloves underneath it, he's tried to use his gloves in the Australian style. Even if he was the best wicketkeeper, basically, of all time, I think that drop alone means he cannot be selected. I mean, it's that bad. And so, oh. Garrett Jones is another one we've put in the bin. So, Foster's gone, Reed's gone, Ambrose is gone, Garrett Jones is gone, Matt Pryor's hanging by his fingertips. What, what about the recent wicketkeepers? Right, so I know you want to talk about Johnny Bairstow, but first, let's talk about Ben Folks. Ben Folks, test match batting average, 41. He's already got a century, he's already got a 50, and he would be the best wicketkeeper out of all of this lot. He's a wonderful wicketkeeper. Seems like a really solid guy. Wouldn't rub anyone up the wrong way. Bit of young blood, bit of youth, you know, one of the new generation. Why not Ben Folks? Well, mate, you make a great point. And just like I think James Foster's a very nice-looking man, likewise Ben Folks. He's got a lovely beard, fantastic pearly white, luscious hair. Um, I think that alone means he, he's worth selecting. Uh, and yeah, I'm a huge Ben Folks fan. Um, but it, it, I mean, it has to be said that he's the reason, he's a bit like a Tim Ambrose in a way. He did really well for him and then kind of just didn't get picked. But then when he went back to his county, went back to play the Surrey, he didn't perform in the same way, didn't score as many runs really. I mean, I'm looking at some of these first-class scores towards the end of the season even. You know, he really didn't set the world alight. I think his last, his last um, first-class scores are 8, 34, 15, 15 and 17. Mm. All out. So no null outs there. You know, it's not, it's not strong. So I, I do think he, I reckon he probably struggled last season because of the, sh- the crushing disappointment of being discarded by England. And I imagine that would be psychologically pretty hard to come back from. He's also only 27, but he's fairly young for a keeper. I, I feel like there's more time. And he was discarded so harshly by England. He was a real scapegoat during that West India series. And um, I, f- I, f- I felt it was incredibly harsh. And they got this fixation with having Johnny Bairstow's keeper, which he managed to get away from a little bit recently. But I'm worried it's going to come back again. And I think that might explain maybe why he had such a bad count season, which, which doesn't help my case. But he is a wonderful wicketkeeper. And if we don't need the runs, we need a good wicketkeeper, then he is a prime candidate. And he's proven to be able to score runs, so it's not like he can't bat. And by any stretch of the imagination, his first-class record is still excellent at 38. So, I mean, I'm trying to think, how, how many... Um, yeah, over 5,000 test runs already as well. I, I mean, so 5,000 first-class runs already as well. Yeah, over 5,000 test runs already in five matches, then, you know, let's get yeah, him in. fair play, fair play. 1,000 runs. <laughs> um, can't believe England dropped him. can't um, believe England dropped him. Bradman-esque and some. No, he... <laughs> But he has scored over 300 runs in Chris Foster, which is good. So, Should we talk about another contender? Well, yeah, let's, who, let's, let's, yeah. Just to say on Ben Stokes, let's, let's put him in the maybes. The rest we've discounted. Ben Stokes has made it past the first round. So in our maybes, we've got Matt Pryor and Ben Stokes so far. Who else? Go on. Who, who are your other contenders? Well, it's Johnny Bairstow. I'd really, I really don't want to pick Bairstow. As in, like, I think he has the potential to be an absolutely wonderful batsman. I think he's got so much natural talent and I just think he's absolutely fixated with keeping the wiki position. He's been so locked into that. He's been so, he gets so angry and anyone ever suggests it. He's got a real thing against the media. The media ever talk about him in less than glowing terms. And I just feel like I don't want to pick him as the keeper in our team, even though he's got a decent average, 34. Although some of that's obviously as a batsman. Um, yeah, and one would say that's a really poor average given his ability. I mean, when you think the average is nearly fifty in one day cricket, exactly, and um, that Test average just isn't. 
Even yeah, when he came into the team and looked so good early on, so 2012, you know, did you tell that actually by 2020, he would have the numbers he's got. I think he'd be bitterly disappointed. And likewise, England would be, yeah, would be very, very disappointed. I mean, he averages, he has, so he averages 43 in first class cricket. But I think the really striking statistic about Bairstow I saw is that I think all of his England centuries, test centuries, all six of them, have come in the first innings of matches. And his average in the first innings of matches is so much higher than in the second innings, which suggests that the wicketkeeping really does have a negative effect on his batting. But he is very pick-ended about this, in my opinion. He does not give it up. And as a result, he has sort of clung on to being the keeper for quite a long time. I know that Butler is currently the man in possession, but it's been bouncing back and forth between them. Folks really not getting much of a look at it, very unfairly. And for me, Bester just shouldn't be. He's good enough to be getting into some composite England Test eleven as a batsman if he made the most of his talent, but he can't get in as my keeper. That's my take on it. Uh, I wonder whether actually the reason why he struggles to score runs in the second innings is partly because he's a bit of a flat track bully. He likes flat one day wickets, white ball, doesn't swing, smash it, smash through the line of the ball, play on the up, really aggressive style batsman. We can get a, get away with him, you know, on a flat deck first first innings of a test match. But when it's trickier to bat, he, he maybe becomes unstuck. I, I, he, I wonder if particularly actually the work he did on his one day game over the last three, four, five years to become like a supreme one-day cricketer. So much better than I ever thought he would be. Uh, you know, he was so, so important in that World, that World Cup winning side. Yeah. It has meant, had a detrimental impact on his, on his test batting as well. And so I wonder how, whether to put that down to the fact of wicket-keeping and that means he's distracted and his second means batting isn't so good. I wonder if it's more to do with yeah. the, the impact of his, his one-day form and just how he bats means he's less in tune and less capable of scoring big runs in second innings. Back, a statistic backing up that claim, Rob, is also the fact that he gets bowled more than any other international batsman, right? The yeah. percentage of his wicket is out of bowled. It's so much higher than anyone else. And it's always these big, airy drives that, you know, like you say, kind of belong in the one-day era, particularly when, and they always come when England are in a tight spot and the pitch is doing bits. And Bess is on a nice, like, 15 or 15. You're thinking, well, maybe today. And then he just walks down the wicket, big waft, cleaned up. So, yeah, I think you make a good point there. But I think it all adds to the fact that I don't think he's getting pitched as our, as our keeper. Yeah, and if we're going off the whole, we don't need runs, we need our best wicketkeeper, I don't think he is our best wicketkeeper. Right? I mean, he's not a bad wicketkeeper, but he's not. He's got better, like prior. He's worked hard, he's got better. Um, but there we go. So, Bairstow, then, I don't think either of us are really coming in to land on him. So, Bairstow's another one on the scrap heap. Uh, the next cab off the rank, then, is Joss Butler. And uh, are we going to go all Ed Smith on it and basically go with the logic? He is, as far as talent goes, as good a cricketer England have probably ever produced. I mean, his natural talent is absolutely absurd. He's a fantastic one-day player, of course. He's capable of doing incredible things. He's a very accomplished wicketkeeper. Surely, Joss Butler's our man. He's a wonderful player, but in 41 tests, he's had, he's a, he's had a lot of opportunities. 41 tests, which is more combined than Foster, Reed, your man Ambrose. Like, way more than, like, maybe double theirs. Um, it's, only five, it's only five more tests than them combined, but yeah, it is more than them combined. Averaging 31, you know, 115 50s, he's just not, he's not taking that opportunity. I know quite a lot of that's as a batsman only, but for me, despite all of his wonderful talent, I love watching Josh Butler bat, Josh Butler bat in one days and T20s. He's not getting into our test team. But if we were doing a one day version of this, both him and Bairstow would be straight in, like undoubtedly. His ODI average is. 40.88, which, you know, maybe sounds slightly low, but then when you consider he's always coming in at the tail end of innings, well, until recently, and 
been doing an unbelievable job as a finisher. Um, he's, yeah, he's a great I, think, I think in one, one day cricket, your average isn't necessarily, you look at strike rates and you look at kind of how they fit into that team. And him and Morgan, when it comes to one day cricket or 2020 cricket, it's one of those uh, rare breed of players who can hit sixes off spinners in the middle overs from ball one when they come to the wickets. Like it's yeah. one thing to go out and blaze um, 30 off the first two overs you know, of a match with the power play and lots of fielders in the ring. And, but I think when you, when you come in mid-innings and you just literally from ball one hit their spinner over cow corner for six, like a Morgan, like a Butler can, that's like a really unique talent. And I think that's where he's invaluable. Absolutely. But I, but, if you want, I just think if, you have, if you're having a... I know this is a test 11. For me, if you just pick an England cricket 11 and don't specify the format... He's my wicketkeeper. No, I think that's I think that's very fair. I can't. I mean, he is, and I completely get why Ed Smith keeps picking him and keeps wanting to play because he's so good. There is no reason why he can't be good in Test cricket, but he's just not being good. So I think, well, actually, the main thing blocking Josh Butler doing well in Test cricket isn't his own talent, and I even doubt it's his own application because I think Josh Butler is someone who works incredibly hard for the game. I think it's the fact that he's being asked to be a test standard wicketkeeper batsman while also being one of the best one day T20 franchise wicketkeeper batsmen in the world, if not the best. And he's, you know, having to stay on top of that, like have all the new shots and work incredibly hard at that aspect of his game. So he is the world's best. And then just suddenly being asked to drop in and be a really good test batsman is really difficult. And I think you've seen like Alistair Cook, Johnny Bairstow, as you mentioned, players who in trying to improve their one-day stuff, really harm their test batting. Hasee uh, Hamid, uh, domestic level, credible first-class batting talent, then tried to start playing one-day cricket for Lancashire, it seemed to mess with his technique, and now he's almost gone. I think it's a really hard ask of Josh Butler to be able to be good at all three formats. But, well, but some players have, are able to do it and have been able to, to do it, and you feel from cricket history would have been able to do it. So, like... I mean, we're talking legends of the game, but like a Viv Richards was a very accomplished one-day and test player, likewise a Clive Lloyd. Granted, one-day cricket wasn't quite played in the way it is today. But more recently, Coley has been very successful at both. David Warner has been very successful at both. A.B. de Villiers has been incredible at both. I don't think it's... I don't think it is a case necessarily of one or the other. I think you can be world-class at both. And I think Joss Butler's good enough to be world-class at both. I'm just not sure it's quite clicked yet. That, that's, that's my take on it anyway. Fair enough. But is he going to get into our test 11? I want to put him in the maybe pile because I think he's that good. Okay. I mean, he's probably not going to make it out the maybe pile, but I want to put him there. All right. So the final name, really, although again, he's slightly before my time and just, um, you started cricket a bit earlier than me, but still maybe, you know, his best years slightly before your time is Alex Stewart. Yeah, I think... He is the best wicketkeeper to play for England in the 2000s. That's that's the fact of the matter. And so, in one sense, he, he probably deserves being picked. Average did fall just under 40 towards the end, but he, he played 133 tests, over 8,000 test runs. Yeah, an, an excellent keeper. And very importantly, of course, he's he's from my neck of the woods. He's from the yeah, well, bor- he's from the borough of Merton, which is no mean thing. And I've already tried to get Mark Butcher picked on the fact that he is from remotely near where I'm from. Um, but I, I do think that Alex Stewart, I mean, in one sense, I think he's the front runner. He's England's best wicketkeeper of our lifetime. You know what? Like, it's both our teams. And we've ruled out people like Graham Thorpe and Mike Atherton for being before our time, before my time. But 
Yeah, Alex Stewart, he is the front runner. I think the only cricketing argument I make against it, and this is again more from what I've been told, read rather than my own personal witnessing, but Alex Stewart's potential as a top order batsman and batsman alone was arguably harmed by the fact that England repeatedly gave him the gloves and made him wear the gloves because his average as wicketkeeper is significantly lower than when he was opening or batting free. And so I suppose that would be a case made against him being the wicketkeeper because actually his best output of runs wasn't when he was keeper. And looking at his averages, apart from nine tests at seven, which to be fair, he did average 62, but then a majority of his tests as keeper, I believe at five and six, um, the averaging in the low 30s. And then you look at his average at number two and three and it's 45, 43. I don't know. That, that'd be my only criticism argument against it. But I think perfectly fair choice to have yeah. as our keeper. Yeah, and I think also, um, to push him a bit, a bit harder and a bit further, is he's, I mean, he's had a relatively successful time coaching Surrey. And he seems to like relish that man management and, and that kind of side of things. And if we're looking for people to maybe add a bit of balance and just maybe, I mean, he's literally grey-haired now. So some sort of grey-haired wisdom to our side. And potentially he's, potentially he's the one. You feel maybe he'd add, he's from another era, he'd add different experiences, different... I, I think the team would be all the richer for having a player from slightly before the main era that most of the players have played in, who nonetheless is very successful and highly respected in the game. You I, know, think I, you're I just right think on. he brings a different dimension to the side. We've also got a lot of explosive characters in the team. And like your dad was saying last week, a lot of characters who might clash or he might get into trouble. And I think you're right. Having that bit of wisdom, bit of experience, he's managed KP at Surrey, managed him well. KP was pretty ha- happy in his like brief occasional stints at Surrey. Um, no, I think it could work really well, actually. And I think it is nice to have a player from a different era. And he, he made it to 2003, you know, three years into our period. That's yeah, and I, I, I went to his last test match. So I, I, my, one of my first, probably the second programme, the third programme I had of English cricket, like from England test match. They were much bigger then. They were not like as small as they are now. It was more like a kind of full A4 size, like magazine type. And it was, he was on the front at the Amp Oval, the last, his final test, Alex Stewart. You know, it was, a, it was a big thing. And so for me, it was when he retired from those, like, I was aware that it was a big thing because he'd been the England wicketkeeper and been a central player in that England team for such a long time. Uh, yeah, and maybe the song and dance. Yeah. Like, I mean, he kind of left. It was almost like Alistair Cook's last test. They had that kind of feel to it. But that was partly because of the Oval, his home ground, and all those kind of things. But so if we're talking about memories, not, the, not my first test match, but certainly probably maybe my third or fourth test match I went to was that one, Alex Stewart's final test. Uh, and it was, yeah, and I remember it fondly. So... For that, if we're going off sort of memories and feelings as well, I think, I think there's a case there. I think it's a perfectly fair pick. I, all I will say is, when we're doing this podcast in 10 years' time and we're picking our England Test cricket team of the 2020s, I hope Ben Folkes is a real front-runner. I really hope he is the clear and undisputed choice because I think he can't be our pick for this because he's only played four or five tests. But I think he's a wonderful keeper and um, I'm sure Alex Stewart would be very happy if he was our pick in 10 years, because obviously that's top of Alex Stewart's priorities. Indeed, but sadly for Ben Fakes, not for now. Um, so is that where we're going then? So we got Pryor was saying Fakes, probably not. Butler, no, but he should be because he's that good. And so there's Pryor, Alex Stewart. We don't really like Matt Pryor. We don't think he'd gel with the rest of the team. And so is that it? We're going with Alex Stewart. I think we've got to go with Alex Stewart. I think we've got a real breadth of uh, experience and time played the game now and yeah I really like that 
So, you know, having used the exact same logic to discount some of England's greatest players, um, being they were a 90s player and not a 2000s player, we've, we've gone and ripped that rule book up out of desperation for a wicketkeeper slot. And yeah, there we have it. Alex Stewart, probably That's, number seven in the order as well. That is a seriously good batting lineup, isn't it? It is. I, I, yeah, I like that. I don't know. I feel good about that. I'm pleased we've landed with him. I wasn't expecting it when we started. No, no, neither was I. I thought we were going to end up with. Um... No, actually, no, because I didn't think we would end up with Pryor, because neither was like Pryor. I really didn't know where we were going to end, actually. I didn't think it'd be Stuart either, because, like you said, we set those rules early on about not 90s players. But I think logic has just brought us back to the to overall best inclusion. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And so there we have it. Seven, seven players selected. It's just four to go. It's on to the bowling attack now. Are we going to go completely off-piste and pick two spinners? Um, are we going to break up Jimmy and Stuart Broad? Well, there's plenty to discuss, isn't there, Michael? So I'll join you next week um, for that. Uh, any oh. final thoughts from you? No, just uh, I hope the preparation cricket keep going smoothly. And I'm really excited to maybe be able to watch England be 30 for free. Um, <laughs> in a test match scene. Indeed, it, it's going to be wonderful once once it's back up and running and we can be moaning about the same old things that we have moaned for since we started Hit the Six back in 2015 and we'll continue to moan about um, well, as you say, into the 2030s, 2040s and when we're grey, grey and old. Have a great right. week, Michael. Enjoy the sunshine and I'll catch up with you next week. See you later.